0: Thank you for listening to this Calvary Aurora Bible study with Pastor Ed Taylor. We pray as you study through God's word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to 2 Timothy chapter 2. That's where we'll start and then we'll move on to different verses as we ask the question, what is Calvary Chapel Aurora and answer it. Now, I walked into a Calvary Chapel in late January 1991. I was as lost as a person could possibly be. I had no need for God in my mind, nor did I have any desire for God in my mind. I wasn't seeking him. I didn't care about church. I didn't know what Calvary Chapel was. I didn't know anything. about I wasn't in that world. I was living in the world And a friend of mine that I grew up with and I respected and I spent a lot of time doing bad things with, uh, he ended up getting born again and receiving new life. And he invited me to this church he was going to. And at first I resisted, but eventually I said, okay, just give me the address and I'll go to this church. But I walked into that church not wanting some spiritual experience and not wanting my life to change or even caring that I was walking into a church, I walked in such a cynic and a skeptic and I was just looking for everything I could possibly find in that church that was whacked out, that was just wrong and I wanted to save my Jack, my friend Jack from a lot of problems from going to this church and convince him that he wasn't as bad as he thought he was, that he didn't need God and little did I know as I walked in, to that simple invitation that it wasn't but a few weeks that the precious love of Jesus Christ broke down my defenses and the gospel was able to then penetrate my heart and I was born again on February 20th, 1991 where the scripture, the scripture took place. Yeah, I can be, I'm happy about it. <laughs> That's, the scripture took place in Psalm 40 verse 2. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit out of the miry clay and he set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. Little did I know what God would have in store for me. I was a mess. I mean, it was enough just to rescue my marriage, which was going out the door. It was enough just for me to learn how to be a dad to my son that was born to us as teenagers. It was enough for me to learn how to be a son and to be respectful to my parents who adopted me and loved me their whole life. It was enough for me to keep my job, which was hanging in the balance because of the lifestyle I was living. It was enough for me just to get my feet under me and maybe rescue a life that was already wasted by the time I was 23. And yet God had so much more in store than what I could even say and see. He had so much in store that, that even to this day, he would entrust to me the opportunity to do the same thing that Pastor Jeff was doing with me. And that is to love God and love people and teach the word and be entrusted with being a pastor. I mean, God, just like you in your life, just like you, God has so much more for you that you don't even know yet, that you, don't, you can't even conceive. The Bible says more than we can even think Or ask. Think about that. God has so much more for you, more than you can even think or ask right now. Maybe you're being burdened down or pressed down by the the circumstances of life and you don't think that way anymore and you don't see that way anymore. But I've been sent here today to remind you that God is not finished, that he knows the thoughts that he has towards you. They're good and not evil for a purpose and a hope in your life. And I was born again in that Calvary Chapel. But Calvary Chapel didn't start with me or my pastor, Jeff Johnson. Calvary Chapel is a family of churches. There's about 1,600 Calvary chapels around the world today. And it's a family of churches. But it didn't start with me. This might be the only experience you've ever had in a Calvary Chapel. This one right here in Aurora. But Calvary didn't begin with me. And it didn't begin with my pastor, Jeff Johnson. It began in the heart of God. It began in the heart of God. in his desire to reach a group of people that were wandering around on the earth at the time in the late 1960s. They, they, were, they were living a life of rebellion. They were living a life smoking weed and doing LSD. And they were known as the hippies. So I've asked every service, and I just want to know now, how many of you were a hippie? Let me know. All right, we have a, we have. few. All right, are you still a hippie? No, I'm just kidding. I wasn't a hippie. I wasn't a hippie because I was born too late. If I was born at the right time and the life that I was living, no doubt I would have tried that out. Just, you know, just go for it, man, and just, just completely unplug from reality and, and do as many drugs as you can to numb the pain of having to face the responsibilities of life. And God's heart was to reach that group and light a fire of revival on the earth. And he put that desire into the heart of a man by the name of Chuck Smith. You often hear, you hear me refer to Pastor Chuck. Well, I'm referring to a man by the name of Pastor Chuck who's gone home to be with the Lord. And his wife, Kay, lived in Southern California in Huntington Beach. And initially, they had no desire to reach the hippies. They were a, more of a traditional church, a traditional pastor, uh, and had a small church of about 30 or 40 people. But God would bring them in contact with certain individual hippies that had names and had, had eyes, you know. They were lives, real living people. They weren't just a group of people. They were someone. And it was through Pastor Chuck Smith and other faithful men and women, including my pastor Jeff Johnson, a man by the name of Lonnie Frisbee, and on and on the list can go, that God sparked a revival in this little church known as Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa. And the revival spread, and it's still happening even to this day. They called it the Jesus Movement. And I appreciate that. I think it was Time Magazine that did an article back then and called it the Jesus Movement. But it's not entirely accurate because the Jesus Movement isn't just contained in what happened in Calvary Chapel or many other ministries. See, Calvary Chapel wasn't the only impetus in the, in the Jesus Movement. There were a lot of things going on all around the country. A lot of different people involved in this revival, but I happen to be a part of the stream that comes through Calvary Chapel because that's the church that I was invited to and that's the one, you know, I can say with certainty in my life that God chose the church for me and God chose my pastor for me. I didn't choose. I didn't want anything to do with any. I don't. But God perfectly put me where I needed to be, just like you. Now, some of you might be going, well, I've been searching for a church today, Pastor Ed, and I, I, maybe I heard you on the radio and I'm checking it out. And, and I just want you to know it's a good thing to search for a church, but it's a better thing to pray and ask God where you belong. And he'll tell you. And then you just plant your roots down. If it's here or there, he can plant your roots down and bear fruit for the kingdom because here's the deal. Jesus Christ is coming again. He is coming again and if he comes, any, if he comes today, a lot of people are going to die and go to hell and their lives matter. Like we're just, we're not a church to have some social club here, some, some spiritual social club. God has a purpose for us. He wants to use us in these last days. He wants to use his word to reach people's hearts. He wants us to be aggressive in outreach. He wants us to, if we're to be known by anything, we're to be known by love, by love. And we get to be a part of something that's wonderful. Pastor Chuck, he faithfully, he faithfully taught the word of God. Those young people and everyone else, because it wasn't just the young people. What was amazing about this revival was the young people and the older people were Together. And they would, you know, the hippies were still hippies. They dressed like hippies, looked like hippies, smelled like hippies. They were all still hippies. And they would come to church with suits and, you know, and everyone else would come to church with suits and ties. And and, and they would all be together, worshiping together from all these backgrounds. Because that's the work of the Lord. Now, you happen to be a part of a very diverse church. You happen to be a part of here at Calvary, a very diverse church where you kind of gotten used to that where this is what heaven's going to look like, every tribe, tongue, and nation. But in the 60s, it was radical. It was a radical concept that you would have the, what they would call the straight-laced guys, and then you'd have a hippie church. Well, what God was doing was bringing everybody together for the glory of God, for his purposes and his plans and what he wanted to accomplish. And as he taught the Bible to these folks, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, then the word of God worked in their lives, and then they moved out and started churches, and then they moved out and started churches. And what's amazing to see that after 60 years, we're still planting churches. God's still using us by his grace. We don't deserve it. There's nothing special about us. I want to be clear in these series of Bible studies, and I'll repeat it over and over again. But as I share some of these principles, and I share about the passion that I have for our own fellowship family, I am not saying that we're better than anyone because we're not. And I'm not saying that we're the best church in town because we're not. I'm not saying I'm the best pastor or the best teacher or we've got it all together and everything's perfect or Calvary Chapel is the only thing in town or the only. No, 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 no. Don't misunderstand me. We are who we are by the grace of God. And I'm grateful for that that God would just use us and allow, allow us to serve him. There's a lot of great things going on in town. We're not in competition with any other church for any other reason. We just, you know, we're not going to do everything. We're not going to do everything. We can't do everything, but we can do everything that God has called us to do. And he birthed this church. It wasn't just 10 years ago that this was just a mound of dirt, right? Where we're at right now, this was just dirt, there was nothing here. And then if you go back 17, 18 years ago, where there was no church meeting in Columbia Middle School. And God birthed this church through the same pattern. Pastor Jeff teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. The word of God working in my heart, working in my wife's heart, and the calling of church planting revealed in my life. And we moved here to Colorado to be used of God to plant a church. You see, the church that God brought me to was a church that was planted in a park under a tree with just a couple families. And as they were worshiping together and growing together, Pastor Jeff, he caught the vision to reach a new community in Downey, California, which is where he grew up. Downey, California is in southeast, southeast of Los Angeles, which was just a few miles away from the city that I grew up in known as Cudahy. That's where I grew up in, a real rougher part of town than Downey was and it was a, it was a convenient uh, distance to go to that church. It's kind of where we, that's the Calvary Chapel in that area where I grew up. And as it continued to grow, it was 18 years, because Pastor Jeff planted the church in 1973, it was 18 years later that I walked in, which really struck me last night, and I want to share it with you. What, what that means is some of you that are walking into church right now, you walk, you're walking into a Calvary Chapel just like I did. Like maybe you're lost as lost can be today and you're just so messed up and you don't think God would ever love you and you don't think there's anything to church for you and I don't care about church, a bunch of hypocrites, all of those things and you walked in here today, God could blow your mind by saving you just like he did me because this ministry there was established for 18 years by the time that I walked in. Why? Because God's working in every year. So, some of you might hear the stories, oh, the school and the things, and you go, you know, I wish I was there. No, no, we're not there anymore. We're here. God is always working in the forever now and what He's doing. And yeah, he, we, have a lot of our, we have a lot going on in our past, but there's a lot going on in our future until the Lord comes. He's not done with us. He wants to use us, He wants to grow the, the ministry outreach. He wants to do things through us that we don't even know. It's so exciting. And so, what happened? Marie and I, after much prayer, moved here to Aurora, Colorado in July of 1999. I took a job transfer with my company, who happened to have headquarters up on Parker and Yale. And I officed in those buildings for many months. I really thought that I would be working for about seven years. Uh, that was my intent. I was going to work for seven years, put some money away, plan for the future. Uh, you know, I had a very successful job, and, and I was just going to be, and then we would teach the Bible. And then maybe by seven years, we might have a, you know, 100 people, 200 people that I might be able to go full-time and serve the Lord. But that's not God's will. God's will was for the group that we had for 30 people. It just, it just blossomed. And within nine months, I quit my job and began full-time serving this congregation. And over the years, through our ups and downs, we've had tremendous highs, and we've had some significant lows, but one thing has remained the same. God is faithful. God remains faithful, and he's going to do that. He's going to stay faithful. And so I have the privilege to pastor this fellowship that was birthed. Our official birth date is December twenty-sixth, 1999. And there's a little bit of history behind that uh, because the church existed before I even moved here. Um, But by the time we changed it and established Calvary Chapel Aurora, it was December 26, 1999. Now, I asked you to open, I think, to 2 Timothy chapter two. If I didn't, would you please do that? 2 Timothy two, I want to read with me verse one. 2 Timothy chapter two, verse one. You therefore, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. This is Paul the Apostle writing to Timothy, a young pastor. And this is the motto of ministry that we follow here. The things that I've learned, the things that I've been taught. The things that I live out in my life, I'm, I've been given the, the command to commit these to other faithful men, and by extension women, leaders in the church, to commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And I'm also told to endure hardship. In the early days, I would, I would stop at verse 2. But now after I've been serving him for a small amount of time, you must endure hardship. That's part of the package. And when hardship comes, the only response that's to come is endure it. Get through it in the power of the Lord. And so what we're about to share is are are the things that the Lord has given to us through the leadership here. That God has given to me through Pastor Chuck, through Pastor Jeff, and from his word. These are biblical principles. We're not the only church in town that believes in these principles. And we're not the only church in town that would apply these principles. But I want to share them with you on how we apply them. I want to share with you what makes Calvary Chapel Calvary Chapel. Why is there a unique work of God that's happening here? What makes us different than other people? Or more importantly, why do we do the things that we do? Uh, These principles will help you process that as either you've been here for a while and it's a good reminder or you're brand new to this church and it's just so different than what you've ever seen before. Uh, and and why? why? Why is that? Well, because these things have been handed down to us. And these things are, the, are, are, these truths are what guide us and lead us, these biblical truths guide us and lead us as we oversee his church. And I'm very, I'm, I just want to be open uh, and, and I want you to know I am super, super glad that God brought me to Calvary Chapel. He could have brought me to an assembly of God church, and I would have been born again. He could have brought me to a four-square church. I would have been born again. He would have brought me to, to a Nazarene church, to a Baptist church, to a Lutheran church, and I'd be born again. But God knew how He wanted to use me. And God knew who I was even before I knew who I was. And he knew the principles that would most relate to my heart, where my heart beats with these things so that the ministry can go forward. So I'm grateful. I'm grateful like you wouldn't believe for the work of God and putting things together when I didn't want anything to do with him. And I'm grateful to be saved today and to have a life that glorifies him to the best of my ability. And I pray that you would be thankful for that as well in your life, God's love and faithfulness to you. We don't deserve anything, man. But look what he's allowed us to be a part of. We don't deserve anything. But God has been so good to us. So what you're going to hear today have been scattered through different Bible studies. Uh, there's nothing new. Uh, when we are in these texts, you, if you can look it up on the web, we, I shared these principles. They're, they're woven into the life of our church. But we're going to pull back and really focus on them so that you can be built up and encouraged. So here we go. I'm going to give you the scripture reference. I'm going to read it to you. And then I'm going to give you the point and then explain it to you. So first one, number one, Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6. The scripture reads, so he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And here's the principle number 1, the ministry belongs to God. The ministry belongs to God. It's not our power and it's not our might and it's not our smarts, it's his. The ministry belongs to God. The church is a sovereign work of God and not any man. This church in particular is a work of the providence of God, his will for you and me. This church isn't yours and this church isn't mine. The church doesn't belong to a group of elders or to a group of pastors or to a group of business people, the church belongs to him. And any role that we have in his church, any role of servanthood, any role of leadership, it's his church that he's entrusted to our care. The Bible word for that is stewardship. He's entrusted to, but it's his church. We're accountable to him. And then we're accountable to one another. It's his church. We can say with confidence, and we, we aren't, that's not part of the testimony today, but we can say with confidence that this church was birthed as a work of the Holy Spirit. God, God arranged everything so that Calvary Ch- Chapel Aurora would be born and would be birthed here in this city to reach this city. We can say that with absolute confidence. However, I have to also match that truth with this. According to Paul in Galatians, he says in chapter three, verse three, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit that you're now being made perfect by the flesh? That just because something starts in the spirit doesn't mean it's gonna end in the spirit because we can mess things up. And we don't want to get into the flood. We don't want to take control of it. We don't want, we want to be led by the Spirit of God. It's not by our might. It's not by our power. We aren't going to seek to grow the church. That's God's responsibility. We don't get involved in a lot of these man-made church growth programs. I mean, if, if pastors decide to do that, I, I don't stand in judgment on them. They're, they're responsible for their flock. But for us... We don't want to go read a new book and go, okay, try this, guys, and get a new seminar. and Try this, guys. We just want to love God, love his people, teach his word, and obey. It's a very simple church that you're a part of, and one where we seek to be led by the Holy Spirit, because he promises to lead us, to guide us, to sustain us, and how careful, as one pastor taught us, how careful we need to be to not put our fingerprints on the bride of Christ the church belongs to God. doesn't belong to us. And what that means is any ministry you're involved in belongs to him and not just you. It's his church and his people. And we want to be open to the Holy Spirit and what he wants in our lives flowing in his spirit, which means we don't always know what's going to happen next. You might ask us a question and go, what's going to happen next, Pastor Ed, with this? And I say, I have no idea. And then you might say, well, wait a minute. You're the pastor, man. If you don't know, then what are we going to do? Well, I have the confidence that I I don't know. God knows. He'll tell us when we need to know. It's his church. You know, like you think of some practical things in the life of your church, you know, because you guys weren't here for the building of this. uh, Many of you weren't. And and you weren't here for the building of this. But we're praying about leaving this facility and buying land and building again. So we've been saving for that. And and you might ask, well, what's next? And I'd have to tell you today. I have no idea. I'll tell you what's next. We're going to use this building to the glory of God, and we're going to fill it up, or, or we're, going to, we're going to use what we have, and we're going to wait for God to give us the next direction. You go, whoa, Ed, don't you know? Don't you know what's going to? We have no idea, and it's okay, because God knows, and we trust that God knows, then we'll trust him, and the church belongs to him. Don't forget that. It's his church. Number two, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. The verse says, And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel. That's the new King James. Servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. Now I like the old King James on this one. So if you're writing your Bibles, next to the word quarrel, the old King James uses the word strive. Great translation. A servant of the Lord must not strive. The idea behind that Greek word is to argue and to fight, to give resistance Because he gives us the opposite. You know, instead we should be gentle, patient, able to teach. This is so important as we set out to fulfill the vision of God for our church, to win disciple and sin. Because it's too easy to get burned out serving the Lord. Because there's a difference between getting burned out and tired. Anyone that has ever attempted to do anything for God will get tired. I mean, you got work, you're raising a family, you got grandkids, you have a job, you have life. Life, I mean, we're going to be tired serving the Lord, getting involved in deeply into the pains of other people's lives and helping them rescue and restore what the enemies tried to destroy and all the pain and all the suffering, all the difficulty. Man, you will get tired. Paul described ministry as a labor of love and the word, the idea behind labor is hard work, even to the point of exhaustion. So you will get tired. But burnout is always a sign of us striving to make something happen. A person that's burned out, one of the questions I must ask them is, have you been serving in the spirit, brother? I have to ask them that. Or have you been just pushing along in your flesh, just pushing along, trying to make something happen, trying to keep something going, instead of just surrendering to the Lord and serving in the joy of the Lord? Burnout is always a sign of our striving to make something happen or to keep something going. Just like in our relationships with others, the mark of his ministry is gentleness and a lack of quarreling and a lack of fighting and striving. If we're going to serve, we need to be inspired by the Lord. Which reminds me, I didn't tell you what the point is. Number two is God wants inspiration and not perspiration. God wants us not just to be working hard, you know, with perspiration, sweating it out, but he wants us to be inspired by the Lord. He wants us to be inspired and led by the Spirit, not pushed, not prod. We need to be inspired by the Spirit, because if God is in it, then there will be work, yes, but it won't be burdensome. If God is in it, then, man, we want to do it. If God's not in it, we need to get out. Simple as that. That's why here at our church, you maybe come from another church and you wonder, hey, pastor, why don't you have this ministry? Why don't you have this ministry? And why aren't you doing this? Because the church I came from have all of these ministries and you don't have them. Well, one of the reasons behind that is that we don't just start ministries to start ministries. We don't start ministries because another church in town is doing it. As a matter of fact, if another church in town is doing it better or doing it, man, go take advantage of the body of Christ and enjoy it under the Lord. Doesn't mean we need to be doing it. But it's, obviously they have a vision to do it, and, and we support that. We say, God bless you, reach our city. But, but ministry, you know, as you have a particular ministries, you have to understand, at our church here, we don't need any ministries at all. If it, all that was left here was just me sitting in the dark with you, reading the Bible and teaching it to you, and Ian and I leading you in worship in a cappella, that would be fine. Actually, it wouldn't be that fine, me singing in a cappella, but... You get my point. We don't need any of these things. These are things that God has given us and allowed us to be a part of. But we don't need to fight to keep them going. We don't need to strive and go, oh, if we lose this ministry, so many people will leave the church. Well, listen, if so many people will leave the church over something like that, they're not here to begin with. So, man, my heart just breaks for them. Like, just plant yourself in a church and don't be so picky about stuff. Just love the Lord and serve him. And if a ministry comes, great. And if a ministry goes, great. But what do you want to do? What is God doing in your life? We're not here to build a church. I had no idea that God would entrust to me so many souls. I had no idea, nor did I have a desire, nor did I know the responsibilities that would come with a growing church. Or, the uh, man, I, we're not here to build a church. Jesus said that He's going to build His church and the gates of hell won't prevail. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. You don't want to be a part of a church that Ed Taylor built because if you're a part of a church that Ed Taylor built, the gates of hell will destroy it soon enough. And we don't want to be a part of that. We want to be able to serve the Lord inspired by him. You don't need to strive. You don't need to be, always be arguing. Just go with the flow of what God wants to do in your life. All that energy and effort that goes to quarreling and arguing and striving could be used for the glory of God. Remember, because Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if you know the Lord is in it, there's going to be light and easiness about it, even though it will be hard. Because in his time, God makes all things beautiful. We've learned that if God is not in it, we're not going to strive to push through closed doors. We'll just let it go and look for another open door to reach our city. Number three, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Many of you have already memorized this, but it's good. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Ah, so beautiful. Here's the principle. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. Now this phrase comes directly from Pastor Chuck Smith. As a matter of fact, there's so many little phrases that he shared over the years that some people refer to these as Chuckisms. But we're not so focused on the Chuckism as I am on the scripture to learn how to be flexible. Flexible. Those those of you that live life know you have to be flexible so that you won't be so rigid and unbendable that you'll snap at the first trial. But rather to, to, to learn how precious this biblical truth is. It's something that we in our fellowship community must live every single day of the week. Rather than being rigid and unbendable, we've learned to be flexible and open to anything that comes our way. We just have to be open. We have to be open to whatever God would have for us. We have to be open to whatever left turn he might bring. Whatever great thing is up ahead or whatever difficult things up ahead, we belong to him. He purchased us with his own blood. And as a church, we have to be open. We have to be open to whatever God has for us. And, and that also speaks to us as a church individually because as this family of churches known as Calvary Chapel, and they're all around the world, each individual church is independent and autonomous. And that's important for you to know in the life of our church. Every church is independent and autonomous. We're not a denomination, for those of you familiar with such things. We aren't a denomination. So we don't pay into some dues to a denominational office. And neither can a denomination give me a call and say, Ed, you need to do this. We're an independent church. We are, past, we are a pastor-led church accountable to a board of elders. That's our structure. So we have a board of elders that oversees the business side of our church, and we have a board of elders, you could say, that handle our spiritual side of our church would be our assistant pastors and some of the lay leaders here. And, and that's, that's the, we're independent. That means financially, everything that Calvary Aurora has ever done has come from Calvary Aurora. Any step of faith we've ever taken, anything, it's from the faithful giving of this congregation throughout the years. There not anybody funneling money to us anywhere and neither are we funneling money anywhere else. Like there's just whatever God has for us, he's going to give to us through the local church. And that gives us a lot of freedom. Nobody can tell us what to do in that sense. No human could come in and go, well, this is the new direction and now this is what we need to do. No, rather, we can just wait on the Lord. That's why because they're all different, that's why you can go to another Calvary Chapel in another town, maybe you're on vacation or you might visit one in town here and, and you go in there and you go, oh, there's so much that's the same. You know, Bible studies and, and passionate worship and there's so much the same but then there's also stuff that's different. Because it's a different community, and a different pastor, and a different fellowship. And so while we're all part of a family, we're also individual and unique. And I use the word family on purpose because family reminds us that even in our own families, we all have those aunts and uncles, don't we? <laughs> like we're not a perfect family, and we all are imperfect. And, and as as such, we're not a carbon copy of no, no Calvary Chapel is a carbon copy of any other. And any pastor that I minister to that's going out to plant a church, I tell them, don't try to be here. Don't try, don't copy. Take the principles and apply them in your community. But don't try to copy anybody because God doesn't bless that. God blesses walking in the Spirit. And we're the church that God's called us here to reach this area. And therefore, we have the freedom to minister as he leads. And we must be Flexible not bound by denominational rules or regulations. I mean, with any changes. Change is hard, but we got to be flexible with change. I think of a change we just recently made when we did, remodeled the stage and we took the cross down and the things that were there and replaced it with the screen. It's much more versatile and different things. And and just thinking, you know, so many are like, oh no, things are going to change. Yes, things are going to change, but we're not changing. And I think you stuck around long. You know, we're not changing. But, but because of technology and everything, the, even this screen, it's just been amazing what, how it's been able to be used to enhance a funeral service for families. How it's been able to enhance a marriage ceremony. How it's been able to evoke emotion when we come to Him in worship and just help us. Maybe we don't even feel like singing, but the song or, or, or the listening to the song while I'm looking at a picture just um, encourages me to come. I mean... That's a big change and all the emails that came through, but it's just, we gotta be flexible. There are things that are important and there are things that are not so important. And we gotta learn how to be flexible. Our church is unique, and yet we're a part of a big family. Number four, number four. And we'll only do five today. So number four is Philippians chapter four, verse 19. Philippians chapter four, verse 19. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. My God will supply all your needs. You might want to mark that word in your Bible. All of your need according to his riches. And here's the principle. Number four. Where and when God guides, he is faithful to provide. Where and when God guides, he is faithful to provide. And what a glorious lesson to learn. It's simply this. God's faithfulness. He will provide for your needs. If God is in it, He's going to provide all that we need. As a church, He'll provide all the money we need, all the people we need, all the open doors we need, all the faith that we need. And if He's not providing, then we must stop and ask the question I wonder if this is from the Lord. We must. See, we get all caught up in our plans. We get all caught up and go, oh, let's run, let's do it. And we get all excited about the plans and we're not excited about the Lord anymore. And the Lord says, no way, no plans are going to come above worship of me. And he might close a door. And one of the ways he does that is not providing. Now, I have to say that we also have to be faithful with what God has provided to us. Think about it. Here, some of you came with some big financial thing that's on your heart today, and the word of the Lord to you is, "God will provide for your need according to His riches in Christ Jesus." But here's the problem: the problem is this. We think needs and wants are the same thing, and that's how our culture is ingrained in us. And same with churches. You know, same with churches. They make I, I, I minister to a lot of churches, a lot of pastors, and they make financial decisions that really aren't wise, and it gets them in trouble. And so do families. You know, you, 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 you want a new TV, and so you don't have the money for it. Hey, honey, it's got a new TV. We don't have the money. Yes, we do. Well, where is it? Right here on this credit card. So you go down and, and you purchase a 5,000-inch LCD TV because the 4,000-inch one wasn't good enough for you, and now you're five grand in debt, and now you're coming to church. You're waking up on Sunday morning. You're getting your paycheck, and you're asking this question. Should I tithe, or should I pay off my credit card debt? Listen, why are you even asking that question? That's not a Bible question. That's a consequence question. Churches get into the same way. So our philosophy here is we trust God to provide for our needs. We try, if there is a need, then God's going to provide for it. If he's not providing for it, then we don't need it. And we just move on. That's not always helpful for people. That's not always, people aren't always happy. But we've learned this as a church, and we'll continue this to the very end. We will do the best that we can with what we have. We don't always need something new. We don't always need whatever it might be unless the Lord is leading us in that direction. But until then, do the best with what we have. Why? Because God has provided to guide us and provide for us in what he's leading. He'll always provide. God wants us to be the most generous, giving people on the planet, not just in money, but also in life. You know, sometimes you wonder, why do we have a bookstore? Why do we have a cafe? Why do we have these things? Not only the opportunities for ministry and service and connecting people with people. But, but you know specifically, church, I want you to know this. And if you didn't know already, specifically, everything that comes in when we close out the books, everything that comes in after expenses for the cafe and the bookstore goes out to our missionaries. Everybody, every one of them get a big check and it comes at different times. So this is what I received yesterday or the day before, I forget when it was, uh, from a brother. I'm not going to tell you who he is, but, but this is what, what he sent me just out of the blue uh, on Friday. He sent it at noon on Friday. We just received another generous check from CC Aurora. I don't know how to thank you. And I responded, this text is perfect for the thank you. Jesus loves you and so do we. I'm humbled. This one is the response. This is where his heart was when that check arrived. I'm humbled and do not deserve your kindness, bro. Not worth the investment, but appreciate it more than words can say. I mean, this brother, he's struggling. Not worth the investment. What are you talking about? He's more than worth the, worth the investment. If you knew who this brother was and how many years he's been serving and what he's done for his community, yeah, maybe the way the world looks, you might, you might say, well, his church isn't large. Wait a minute, who, who made large churches? Who made that the criteria for success? Whoever it was, they should, they should repent. Because the criteria for success is love and faithfulness. Not the size of your church. But this poor brother, you're, that, so if you bought a sweat, you know, why do we have sweatshirts with Calvary Aurora on them? Well, if it, it opens a door for you to talk to somebody, and all the excess that comes in after that sweatshirt went to this brother. And he got a check at just the right time. I said, brother, I responded, um, he says, not worth the investment, Would appreciate it more than words can say. And I said, brother, I love you. None of this talk of deserving. Friends love, friends serve, friends express his great grace. I thank God that none of us got what we deserve. And then he responded, reminds me of Pastor Chuck when he prayed for the bills and went to the mailbox. A check was there that covered it. Crazy how God works. It's God telling me to trust in him alone and not to neglect prayer ever, even for a day. And let's just talk a minute about what we deserve. Aren't you glad none of us got what we deserved? We would be toast, man. But God's merciful and gracious. So the finances of your church in a variety of different ways as you give faithfully to the Lord, just in this, this little thing, because that was a check from the, so if you've ever done anything the bookstore or the cafe, a portion of that went to encourage this brother and pay his bills. I mean, that's the reality of life. And we get caught up in other things and we get caught up in other ideas and this is a driving principle of our church. We believe where God guides, he provides. If that means we gotta, we gotta you know, sharpen our pencil all the way down to the eraser, then that's what we'll do because that's what God's given us. That means we'll sit in the same chairs forever, then that's what we'll do. If that means we build a square building that just looks like a warehouse, that's what we'll do. You know why we did that? You know why we made a building that's square? Because that's all we could afford. Do you know why every single wall almost in this building is painted the same color? Because that was the cheapest way to do it. And I guess it was the cheapest paint, too, man. And over the years, we've added a little bit of paint, but that, like, it's not about the building, is it? It's just a tool. It's about you and me and how God wants to use us. Where God guides, he's faithful to provide. If he's not providing, then stop and ask if he's really guiding. Finally, number five, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. These are in no particular order as we go through them. There's really no way to put them in order. I looked at them a little bit. There's no order. They're all important to us. They're they're all key in the life of our church. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And number five is this. We must be the servant of all. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, you must be the servant of all. There's no other way to grow in Jesus. His style and example of ministry has always been and will always be the way up is down. Serving in the church, the life of the church is not like the world. The world has the idea of the farther you go higher up on the org chart, the more important you are. But that's not the way of the Lord. The way of the Lord is the farther, go, the farther down you go, the more you serve one another. It's not about being important because only Jesus is important. It's not like the world, but we live in the world, so we think like the world, and, and we might even bring that into the church like, like, like an org chart, like an organizational chart. If if we were ever required, we don't have one, but if we were ever required to have one, you would think, well, I guess we'll do it like a pyramid, right? And then Pastor Ed would be at the top, and then the assistant pastors and the elders, and we'd call it go down. But if we were to do that, and it would be a pyramid, and we did, pass, we would flip it upside down, and Pastor Ed would be on the bottom. I'm to be the chief servant here, not, not the one that's bossing people around, but the one to serve alongside and fulfill God's call upon my life. But even then, that's not really accurate. The org chart for any church should be actually very simple. It should be very linear and straight line. Everybody's on the same level. Everybody's valuable before the Lord. Everybody's important. The only differences that the Bible described for us is our responsibility in the church. So yeah, some people have more responsibility, but man, that's huge. You know, to have more responsibility because you, to whom much is given, much is going to be required. So when you think of this and you think you pray for me, pray for this. Pray this because it's a heavy thing to think in my life that I'm going to receive a stricter judgment than you for my role in the church. But That's what the Bible says. The Bible says, don't let many of you become teachers because you'll receive the stricter judgment. And the Bible says that I'm an overseer of souls, which I'm incapable of doing. Only God can do that. And I'm going to be judged on it in some way. And you just pray for me. That I'll be faithful. That God would lead me what to do and I would be faithful. I wouldn't fear man and their decisions. That I'll be where I need to be and I'll go where I need to go. And I'll serve where I need to serve. You know, the idea in, in, in the world, and sometimes it's in ministry, is, is more responsibility you get the less you serve. But that's not the way of the Lord. The more responsibility we have, the more we serve. Because the one that's been faithful with some will be given many. The word minister actually means servant. And we're here to serve God and love you and serve you and point you to that love. And so we try, we stay away from flow charts and hierarchies. And I was into all that stuff in the business world. I know it's it's not. We're all the same. Jesus, we're all valuable. The blood of Jesus Christ saved us all. And only thing that makes a difference between us is our responsibilities. We are all servants exercising the gifts that God has given us. And I'm constantly reminding the pastors the teachers, the leaders, everyone here that I can, that we're just servants. That's it. We are just servants of the Lord. That's all we are. We're here to serve you and see God glorified in all things. And Jesus is a greatest example as he washed the feet in John 13. Took the place of the lowest slave in order to bless his disciples. And so you too are servants of the Lord. Take responsibility for your church. It's your fellowship family. Serve resist gossip. Avoid the divisive. Stay close to Jesus. If you see something that needs to be done, pray and jump in and do it. Don't complain about it. Complaining doesn't solve anything. Don't complain about it because we're not a perfect church, so we're going to have all kinds of problems. The best thing to do is if you see a need, just take care of it. You know, maybe you come and you go, oh, Pastor Ed, Pastor Ed, I made this up, but it's a good illustration of it. It's made up. Pastor Ed, I can't believe it. I can't believe nobody's here early to open the doors. I get here early every week, and there's nobody here to open the doors, and, and you just need to get somebody to open the doors so we can come in, and not have to stand outside in the snow. And I'm like, so you're here every morning. You're here every day, every weekend, and you're here early. Yes, yes. And so you get here before everyone else. Yes. And nobody's here to open the doors but you. Yes. Why don't we get you to start opening the doors? Oh, no, 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 no. No, because I can't be here every week, and I... Yeah. It's much easier to complain, to just say, you know what? I think the Lord's just ministering to me. Maybe I should be here early to open the doors. How many other people are need to be here early? And, and you begin to think through how you can serve the body instead of how the body can serve you. It's freedom, man. It is freedom. When you just come and you say, I'm ready to serve you, Lord. I'm just sold out to you. I'm not here for anybody to give me anything. I'm just here to Give. I'm telling you, man, it is true freedom. It's a freedom that just allows you to do more and more for the kingdom of God. And you love more and more people. And, you know, that's why people don't come to me and say, well, Pastor Ed, you know, we really need this. And I'll tell them, really, you see it. Yes. You really feel burdened. You have a burden about it. Yes. You've been praying about it. Yes. Well, I think you're the one to do it. No. (laughs) It's always the way it is. But think about it. God has so much in store for us. Every single ministry in this fellowship started by the Lord placing something on the hearts of his people. We don't sit in an office thinking, we need to start 10 new ministries this year. We don't do that. We pray and we listen and we serve and somebody comes up with an idea and and if they meet the spiritual qualifications and we entrust, I mean, it's beautiful. Servanthood isn't easy as it sounds, but Jesus will equip you and help you die to yourself. Remember this, you'll know how much of a servant's heart you have that while you're serving, somebody treats you like one. Get it? Are you guys with me? Yes. When you start being treated like a servant, then your heart gets revealed. And it's okay to be a servant, man. Just serve the Lord. Our church, Calvary, you guys are tremendous servants. We're going to have an opportunity this afternoon to appreciate you, uh, to throw a big party for you. Uh, we can't say enough for the, to be a part of what God's doing. And, and it's not just a few people on staff. It's the church. And and we couldn't do it alone. And we're not a church filled with celebrities. We're not a church filled with superstars. We're not a church filled with people that want to lord over you. We're just a bunch of servants that love Jesus. And may we stay that way because that's what God blesses. Amen? So God, I thank you for this time in your word. A few of the principles that, that lay a groundwork for who we are as a church. What you want to accomplish through us. Certainly answering some questions on people's hearts today. Things that have been heavy on their hearts even. That's a, what, thank you, God, for meeting us here. And teaching us principles of ministry. And thank you, God, for salvation. That we're saved. That we're not no longer in the world like we used to be. But we're saved. It's a, it's a, a miracle. Miraculous, the new birth. We pray for our unsaved family and friends today. We pray for our bosses and our neighbors. We pray for that wonderful person that's always at Safeway and the one that takes care of us at Walmart and the one that changes our oil and fixes our cars. And, you know, Lord, we're around people all the time. We just want to thank you for the opportunity to share your love with them. And I'm grateful for my brother texting me that text because um, I didn't send that check. I didn't even know when it went out. We sent that check. (laughs) It's it's what you're doing here. We we were able to encourage a missionary. We were able to lift them up, Lord. And we don't deserve that. We deserve nothing, but you've given us so much. So let us live up to the high calling in our lives as dads, as moms, as grandmas and grandpas, as leaders and pastors and servants, and uh, that you would be glorified through our lives. And I pray for anyone here today, God, that doesn't know you, that has never given their life to you. I pray for their soul. That today, as you brought conviction into their heart, they might even hunger and thirst to be a part of a church like this and wondering, is that really true? It is. You take some really messed up people and and you fashion them into beautiful things. Thank you, God. And for those that, that need to decide today to follow you, I pray that they would. Maybe that's you. Today's the day that God wants to bring you to a place of repentance, He wants to bring you to a place of surrender. He wants to save your soul. That today you'd say, Ed, I need to have my life changed. I want to follow God. I want my sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. I want, I want to learn what it is. I want to learn who Jesus is. I want to learn what it is to, <clears throat> to live for him and to enjoy him. I want to, want to turn my life around. I need his help. Your testimony, just a little bit of your testimony reminding me of where I am in life. And God wants to meet you right where you're at. Maybe you're struggling with your identity. You know, maybe it's even your sexual identity, which is real big right now, and you're not sure what you are, a man or a woman, or how you want to express yourself, and you got all this pressure, but God wants to tell you who you are. He wants to reveal to you how much he loves you and how he made you and created you. He wants to do that in your life. You need to come to him, though. He's given you identity. Maybe you're struggling with your purpose today. God has a purpose for your life. Maybe you're struggling with what you're supposed to do with your life. God has a reason for you living. Those of you that are struggling, may I just feel like somebody's listening right now that's suicidal. And suicide has passed through your mind. Especially if you don't know him, but it could be for someone that does know him. And and you're just struggling with a purpose to live. Jesus Christ has a purpose to live for you. He has a purpose for your life. You're not wasted, you're not a throwaway. You're not neglected and forgotten. Even though the world might have treated you like that, God doesn't treat you like that. And so if you're here today, you'd say, Ed, I need to get my life right with God. Would you stand to your feet right now? I want to pray with you. I want you to confess your sins to Jesus right now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer to do that. God bless you. Who else would say, that's me? God bless you and you. Today's the day. This is why you're here. You walked into a Calvary Chapel almost 18 years after it started, just like me. And now this is the day for you. God bless you in the back. You guys on the radio, God knows who you are. Watching on the live stream, God knows who you are. He loves you. Sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. Son Jesus hung on a cross, was, died a violent, terroristic death and was buried. And yet three days later, he rose again from the dead. Is there anyone else? We don't want to rush through this. I want to give you a chance to respond. You don't have to. Standing doesn't save you. Raising a hand doesn't save you. Not even saying a prayer saves you. Only God saves you. But these are steps toward God, no longer away from God. Saying something, asking God to forgive you is something you haven't done in a long time or ever in your life. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I want you to do that. So you can talk to God right now. You can say, God... I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. I believe you sent Jesus to live for me, to die for me, and I believe he rose again to save me of my sins. And I submit my life to you today, just like the Bible says, and I want to follow you all the days of my life. Help me to turn away from my sinful past and to turn towards you in righteousness. God, I pray for those that are praying to you today. Just I, I lift them up to you. I, I, I hope it's real and genuine. I know we don't always see outward signs. We don't always know what you're doing on the inside. But from the foundation of the earth, you know who's going to be saved according to your foreknowledge. So I pray for those that's the real deal, God, that we would rejoice that you're touching hearts even still today in Jesus' name. Amen. we pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.